when we do this, I find out I'm on the unknown channel. That's how we look for it. We look for it unknown. Feel kind of like James the last at times. Who's he? One of the twelve disciples. Okay, James the last. Somehow he managed to to get around and uh, get himself killed <laughs> for the cause of Christ. So uh, he he might have been the last for a while, but he ended up uh, as great, great in the eyes of God because he took what God gave him and he used it. Now, we have been studying something a little bit different, and it's called Bearing One Another's Burdens. And the reason that we are doing this is we always have to ask the question, how then shall I live? We're living in the last days, and it's kind of like a so what. Well, we learn about the last days, and we looked at it from last week, and we see that in the last days, most people's love is going to grow cold because of lawlessness. It's hard to imagine that you could uh, put people in positions and elect them to positions of power who have no sense of righteousness, it seems, in their souls, and that whenever uh, crimes are committed, nothing is done. It just takes the police longer to fill out the paperwork than it, for them to be back out on the street. And this is not just for little bitty stuff. This is for big stuff. It's, it's amazing. But most people's love will grow cold. I remember... Uh, we used to pick up hitchhikers on the side of the road, especially if they're dressed in a uniform. You know, we stopped, and, and it wasn't a bad deal to hitchhike. If you needed a place, you just stuck your thumb out and took off. But who does that anymore? Not a lot of people. Occasionally, you're going to see one. Why? Because of the lawlessness that has increased. So most people's love grow will grow cold. Now, we find out that when that happens... We get gun-shy of helping people. Now, some people don't want our help, okay? But we need to be available for when they do. And we have to be careful because we're told to admonish and warn in the book of Romans and passages like that. But we have to be careful not to overstep our bounds. And when do we know when we're doing that? The first thing we do is pray for wisdom. When we know that somebody needs help, the first thing we do is pray for wisdom. Don't look for a formula. Don't look for a, well, when this happens, then I'm going to do this. You pray for wisdom because the Lord will give it to you. That's James 1.5. That's what he's going to do. He gives to all generously and without reproach. So he says, when you lack wisdom, ask. And that's a, that's a verse we need to keep right at the forefront of our, our thinking. As a pastor over the last 40 years or longer, I've been called at some real weird times of the day and night and asked to come help somebody that um, uh, was caught involved in various sins or whatever it was. And, and I'm going, what am I going to say? only thing I could remember at 2 o'clock in the morning was pray for wisdom. You pray for wisdom. You don't have a formula or anything else. You pray for wisdom. And then you remember, you go a little farther in James, it says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Now, how do you go about bearing one another's burdens? Now, in verse 1 that we looked at last week, Brethren, even if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of selflessness, gentleness. Each one looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. 
Now you look at this verse, and right on the surface you can see there's a lot of depth in this verse. Okay, caught in a trespass. What's a trespass? What's it talking about? Okay, you who are spiritual, what does it mean to be spiritual? I mean, these are things that need to be broken down, not just launched off into with some uh, wild-eyed ideas. You who are spiritual, it says you look at yourself first. Restore such a one the spirit of gentleness. You're looking for restoration. You're not looking for condemnation. You're not looking for anything other than how do you restore a person. Each one looking to yourself. When you get ready to help somebody else, be careful yourself. Why? Because there's a real tendency to to mental attitude sins, sins of the tongue. There's real tendency to get off track yourself. And then you become useless to the individual you're trying to help. Lest you too be tempted. It's a reminder. So as we go into this first, that's part of what we're doing. As we're starting to take a look at how do we go about doing some things. Now, there were principles that were taught early in the church age. And they're going to be neglected and almost forgotten. Now, Andy's book on the uh, uh, reform, Ever Reforming, an excellent book because it talks about some things that were clearly established in the early part of the church age. One of which was the premillennial return of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was a settled doctrine. And then it entered the dark ages and it was no longer a settled doctrine. Why did it not become a settled doctrine? Because people had grown up no, because they had devolved is really what happened. They moved away from a literal interpretation of the scriptures and moved into an allegorical. And the nice thing about an allegorical interpretation is it makes you God. You can read in there anything that you want to read. It doesn't make it right. But whenever people say, well, your interpretation just gives my interpretation, the point is, what is the interpretation? Not whose interpretation is it? What is the interpretation of a particular passage? Now, <clears throat> we lose sight of these things, and this was taught in the early church. You say, how do you know that? Because I read the book of Acts. You read the book of Acts, and what do you find? People helping each other out, bearing each other's burdens, calling each other to account. That's what you find out in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 6, why were deacons there? Because certain widows were b being overlooked in the daily serving of food. Was it intentional or not? Didn't matter. They're being overlooked, and that was a problem. So deacons were selected, men full of the Spirit, grown up, that could be able to look over the daily serving of food to these widows who were in need. So there was a, there was a problem. What happened? A solution was sought, a solution was found, one that was born in wisdom. And that's how they grew through the early part of the church. They learned how to bear one another's burdens because they saw that is a specific part of loving one another. Now, verse 1 says, if anyone, that's a specific burden somebody is carrying. Verse 2, we're not going to get to it today. Verse 2, though, expands it to bearing one another's burdens and it expands the idea of what is a burden. So it's not just somebody that got caught with their hand in a cookie jar that you're trying to help. It is somebody that is carrying around a load. And it is a load that is hard to 
bear? And how do you go about trying to help them out? Now, <clears throat> there were principles taught. Now, we got down to point F last time. And this is the passage that we I just talked about. In ver- view in this verse, a person has taken a false step, a blunder. They've goofed up. And we see that we're called to forgive those who have transgressed. We're called to forgive them because Christ paid the debt for sin that they had. They had, we had, and everything else. See, this is, you are one fallen creature trying to help another fallen creature when you are trying to offer some wise counsel up. And that's part of what this verse is saying. Know who you are looking to yourself lest you too be tempted. Now, how do you get tempted? What's one of the greatest sins? Pride. How do you get tempted to you get tempted to pride when you look at somebody and compare your spirituality to theirs and say I must be greater. I must be greater because I didn't do that. I didn't do that sin. Sounds a lot like James and John, doesn't it? The sons of thunder. They were real good at Lord should we go tell them to stop that cuz they're not with us. They had the elitist uh, mindset. Uh, long long before anybody else in the church did. Transgressions can deeply affect many people. They can affect a family. They can affect a church. So whenever we can try to help in those ways, in those regards, we do. Now, where there's transgression, you read Romans 5, there's grace. Where there's transgression, there is grace. And why was the reconciliation of the world to God through Christ? So our transgressions would not have an eternal cost. Now, they can have a cost in time, very clearly. Some things that we can do in time can touch a lot of people in a negative way in time. But concerning our eternity, that's a different thing. Now, how how much is a... I know Sandra says that she's probably the oldest one in here. A lot of us are catching up real fast. And we and we look at that and go, you know, um, even Brother Larry. You know, he's been around since Ice Age. But <laughs> not quite. You know what the Bible says about our life? We are a vapor. Yeah. James 4. We are but a vapor. That appears for a while and passes away. Like when we step outside on a cold day and we see our breath and then it's gone. That's what it's talking about. When you start looking at, at eternity, then we are just, that's it. We're vapor. We're just here for a very little bit of time. But what can have an eternal effect, that's what we need to think about. And sometimes the things we do here can affect people on this earth. But how about eternity? Our transgressions have rendered us lost. We're already lost by our sin nature, by the transgression of one. But then you stack on top of it all the stuff we've done wrong. Okay, And you know how they can affect people. But when Christ paid that debt, he said... We'll take care of these transgressions, these sins, anything you want to call a sin. We'll take care of it. We'll take care of it so it doesn't have an eternal cost to it. Now, to me, that is 
That is a cause of joy, rejoicing, joy unspeakable and full of glory. I mean, all kinds of great songs about that. But the payment for our trespasses was Christ's blood. Now, was it his literal physical blood, or was it what it, was it what it represented? A lot of people get wrapped around the axle on his literal blood, but his literal blood indeed was shed, and it was part of what was talked about. But it was his spiritual death on the cross that was the big deal. Because did, did he live a life as a carpenter's son? And I, I know he was perfect in all things, but did he ever hit his hand and draw a little bit of blood? Maybe, I don't know. He didn't scar himself enough to be disqualified from it but his blood and literal blood sometimes people get weird on that uh, you know on Golgotha supposedly there's a crack on top of Golgotha and some guy managed to get below Golgotha and he found there the Ark of the Covenant and he took a picture of it and of course it didn't come out because God didn't want the picture of the Ark shown there but what he claims is that the blood from Christ trickled down through the crack in Golgotha and it dripped on top of the Ark of the Covenant on top of the mercy seat and that's what provided our reconciliation. <sighs> Put the spear on his side and blood and water flowed. Was that the blood that saved? It looks at what he did on the cross. His blood, his spiritual death, Dying you shall die, it was told to Adam. Literally is what it says in the Hebrew. Doubling of the verb. Dying you shall die. It bothered me as a kid. Why didn't he die immediately? He wasn't supposed to eat of that tree. That's because there's two deaths that is being talked about. And I didn't find that out until I, until I found out that there was an, a, a language other than the King James. <laughs> It was actually inspired of God. And it said, dying, you shall die. He died spiritually the moment he ate of the tree. He died physically 950 years later. Dying, you shall die. What did Christ take care of on the cross? In Isaiah 53, and by his deaths, plural, there was more than one. Now your translation might even just use it in the singular but the Hebrew clearly says, with no textual variant anywhere, anytime, it's a plural. His deaths. He died spiritually. When sins were imputed to him, he died spiritually. And then he died physically. And when he died spiritually on the cross, it took care of the whole issue of personal sin. I believe that took care of it that moment in time he paid for it what about dying physically why did he need to die physically to conquer the sin nature because that's passed down genetically passed down from Adam Romans 5 to every member of the human race by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin and so death spread to all that's what happened and so he died that's his blood when the, when the Bible uses his blood it's talking about, it's not just his spiritual death, but his physical death. I believe both were required to take care of the whole issue of sin. And I believe that's what the evidence shows. So some people, I know some people that talk about his spiritual death to the point they won't sing a song that's got blood in it. 
you know, power in the blood. Well, there is power in the blood. <laughs> because the book says blood, right? We need to understand what it means whenever we sing it, but it doesn't mean we don't sing it. We enjoy it. See, in Him we have redemption, Ephesians 1.7, through His blood. Okay? Period. <laughs> the forgiveness of our trespasses. The forgiveness of our trespasses. That's spiritual death, right? According to the riches of His grace, not ours. So the payment for our trespasses was the blood of Christ. Our trespasses rendered us spiritually dead. From Ephesians 2.1, right there in that same book. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin. Paul is going through and telling us that. He says it again in verse 5. You were dead. Who is that? All of us. The Ephesian church. This makes me wonder who snuck in the back door. <laughs> I know one pastor had a door right behind the pulpit there so he could escape, I guess, if need be. <laughs> but I've got to make a run for it anyway. <laughs> so how do, how do we start? We are physically alive, spiritually dead. Right? That's how human beings start. Physically alive, spiritually dead. You were dead. Not maybe you were dead or you're close to dead or you're swooning along. You're dead. Flat statement. Now, God's grace made us alive by faith when we were dead in our trespasses. From Ephesians 2.5. Even when you were dead, we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, parenthesis, by grace, you have been saved. Now, when did he make us alive? Some people think that he took the people that are called the elect, he made them alive, and then he forced them to believe. No, nope. not what the not what the Greek bears out. He made us alive together with Christ by grace. You have been saved, and then he picks that up by grace. You have been saved again by grace. You have been saved through faith. That not of yourselves. What that is the salvation, not of yourselves. By grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It, what, salvation, is the gift of the God. And absolutely not of works. Why, lest any should boast. Now the devil is real good at trying to get believers to add things to that amazing gospel. He is real good at it. He will try to make people believe you have to work to get saved, you have to work to prove you're saved, or you have to work to stay saved. I know, and I mentioned, I heard a guy on TV one time said, I believe when we get to heaven, we're still going to have to work to stay in heaven. And I thought, what book are you reading? Colossians 2.13, When you were dead in your transgressions, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. When did he make you alive? When you put your faith in him. That's what the explanation is. Then he made you alive. 
at that moment in time. Now, <clears throat> to me, that's great because that's a new birth. That goes along with a new birth. Did he make you? Did he give you a new birth before you were born? No, he made you alive at that moment of faith. Now, the first requirement of helping someone is that you yourself be spiritual. First requirement, you yourself be spiritual, which in this context indicates a walk of faith. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 5 talks about spirituality. It's uh, this Galatians book. I am um, almost got it ready to publish on the uh, Internet along with Acts and James. It's very close. And been going back through all of these passages once again, over and over and over again. Spirituality, pneuma, is the word for spirit. Pneumatikos is the word that means of or pertaining to the spirit. And that's where we get spirituality from. These are things that are the walk of the, walk of the spirit. Walk by the spirit, you won't carry out the desires of the flesh. So it's talking about spirit that is that you be spiritual. It is a walk of faith. Chapter 3. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing coupled with faith? Winning the battle with flesh. Because the Spirit sets its desire against the flesh and the flesh its desire against the Spirit. And these are at war with one another. Literally in the Greeks what it is saying. And the production of the fruit of the Spirit. So, <clears throat> where are you walking before you try and help someone? Are you in a carnal state? yourself, then you really don't need to try and help somebody if you are in a carnal state. Now, if they need help, go ahead and try. But work, remember this, you who are spiritual, get yourself straightened out first. Get yourself straightened out. And it might be the Lord is kind and gracious and, and uh, very patient with all of us. We might be walking by the flesh and one of the good friends needs help. And we go right then to try and help, but we try to get ourselves at least in line somewhat in that maybe instant of a time we've got before we go over there and try to help. Get yourself back walking in a spiritual way. Spirituality is needed to properly appraise the matter. You can't really figure out what the problem is. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. But even if you're quick to hear, what if you can't analyze it properly? From 1 Corinthians 2.15, He who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no man. So when you're walking according to the Holy Spirit, it says that you have the ability to think through different things. Okay? To analyze them properly. It doesn't mean you're speculating on other people. But what you're doing is looking for the facts and the data. And properly analyze the facts. He who is spiritual appraises all things. It also means that if we are spiritual. We can properly appraise the news. That's not hard to appraise. <clears throat> but even when we think we got it all figured out. Sometimes there are things that that conveniently get left out by the news commentators that can affect the whole understanding of a particular set of events. And then you learn why when they swear people into court, it's the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Wish they'd swear them all in before they 
before they um, let them write an article or appear on the television. Of course, now in Texas, I understand that they're trying to get any mention of the Creator taken out of any of the curricula in the Texas schools. They want That's part of what the battle is going on right there, right now down in Texas. They don't want to talk about in God we trust. They don't want anything about that. They want that, they want that all gone. So you let the liberals in there try to take God out of the schools. And what do you got? A bigger mess than, than is already down there. Spirituality is the objective of restoration. From 1 Corinthians 3, 1. I could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of the flesh, as to babes in Christ. Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. He's got a church that has gone astray about every way imaginable that you could go astray. Uh, I, I know there was a lady sewing circle one time called the Corinthians. And I thought, boy, I bet that was a wild group of girls that had had things. You know, the Corinthians, did they know what the label was that they were talking about? Um, maybe they did, say by grace through faith. That was the only way that they could be uh, in line with the Lord. But it says, I couldn't speak just to spiritual men. So the objective of restoration is spirituality. Okay where they have accepted the plan of the Father, where they have believed in the Son, and they're walking according to the Spirit. That is the uh, objective of restoring one. You who are spiritual, you want to get them to the same position you are. Okay? Spirituality must accept Scripture as Scripture. From 1 Corinthians 14, verses 36 and 37. Paul writes them and he says, Was it from you the word of God first went forth? Now Corinth was a, was a mess. Or has it come to you only? <laughs> you the only people that know anything about the word of God? If anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, that gift was functioning back then, you think you're spiritual, let him recognize the things that I write to you are the Lord's commandments. What Paul is writing to them, he says, your prophets can analyze and verify. Chapter 14 also says the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. So it tells us that whenever a new uh, book or epistle or something came in, if they subjected it to the prophets who were there in the church, they could say whether it was valid or not. We know there were four letters written to Corinth. We know two of them survived, which tells us the other two were not Scripture, and they were seen as that. That's very important. We know what happened in Thessalonica. There was another one written to them, and it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't spiritual. So that got rejected in Thessalonica. So spirituality must accept Scripture as Scripture. And see, the early fathers knew that. You know the starting point back here about things that got forgotten in the history of the church? They knew what was Scripture and they knew what wasn't. So when the church councils came along, they weren't trying to figure out what they were going to make Scripture. They were recognizing those things already identified as Scripture. Now that's a whole different slant on church history. A whole different one. Because it had been verified by appropriate gifts along the way. 
Spirituality has to accept Scripture as Scripture. So when, what are you going to do if you're going to be a counselor, and especially now because they don't want uh, psychology majors to try and help anybody with the Bible. I mean, after all, that's some kind of spooky, mystical thing, isn't it? They don't want them to help anybody with the Bible. So what do they, they throw it out. If you're going to try to help somebody caught in a trespass, you know what psychology majors do today? They try to convince them it wasn't a trespass. This says caught in a trespass. It's pretty clear, according to Scripture, how are you going to evaluate what is and what isn't? By Scripture. It's the only way that you, that you can do it. None of us are yet in a spiritual body, so while we're seeking to help others, we have to realize this fact. From 1 Corinthians 15, 44, it's sown a natural body. That's us. It's raised a spiritual body. See, when you start letting the Scripture tell you what it means, it, it makes it clear, doesn't it? This is a natural body. But when it's raised, this new body is fully spiritual. If there is a natural body, and there is, first class condition, there's also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But the spiritual is not first, but the natural. And then the spiritual. See how practical this is? We're born with a natural body. But then at the new birth, at the new creation, when we are made alive, it's a new body. And we read more about that in other passages, 1 John 3. And this is a body that's going to be able to look at the Lord the way he is. And you say, well, the disciples did back in the first century. Not in his glorified, hypostatic union. God and man together in full glory. Now that, all we can do is try to imagine some artists try to capture, but we have no clue really what that is like. What we do know, it's going to take a new body to see him as he really is. Now, that should be something to think about. If you want to meditate on that, meditate on, on your new body in Christ and Christ's new body that he already has, rather than some of the news and trying to figure out what's right or wrong in the news media. Now, our desire should be to see all of the body of Christ functioning parts of the spiritual house of the priesthood. So, do we want people to come together? Do we want people to see the unity of the faith? Ephesians 4.12. Is that what we are working toward? Where we can all celebrate and go praise to the Lord the Almighty and do that together? I love that song. I hope if... if the Lord doesn't rapture us out of here. They play it at my funeral. But I love that song. Praise the Lord. Right? What? The Almighty. The King of creation. Oh my soul praise Him. We, we know that song. Our desire should be want to see every part of the body of Christ. Functioning parts of the spiritual house of the priesthood. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 5 says... You are all living stones. You are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. A special, set-apart, sanctified priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 
when we come to the Lord and don't just mouth the words, but we're actually involved in praise to the Lord, the King of creation. Oh, my soul, praise Him. This is <clears throat> acceptable sacrifices. How do we know those are? Hebrews 13, 15, and 16. We offer up the fruit of the lips. They give praise to His name. The caretaker should desire, if you're going to help somebody, you're a caretaker, to see the joy of spirituality back in the life of the trespasser. Now, if they're an unbeliever, they need to know about Jesus because the rest doesn't matter. You can talk to them about a lot of different things, but unbelievers, about all you can... How are they going to be spiritual? You are spiritual. You want them to be spiritual. So you can share the joy of spirituality. But an unbeliever can't be spiritual without the Lord in their life. So the gospel is the most important thing. You can talk to them about different things. You can use it. But everything needs to flow back to the gospel. Whenever we find Ephesians 5.19. So speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I find that interesting. Ephesians 5.18. Don't be drunk with wine but be filled with the Spirit. People stop and write volumes of books about what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And they just need to keep reading. Okay? Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Spirituality. The things that come out of spirituality. Singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Colossians 3.16 Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. With all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So whenever you're trying to help someone be restored, hopefully you want to see the joy of spirituality back in them. Our prayer should be for the spiritual wisdom of other people. See how that throughout the scripture we get topics like this that are taught in different books, different places, over and over again. Colossians 1.9 For this reason, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Colossians 1.9 That was written about 16 years after James wrote his little old book that talks the wisdom that comes down from above and the wisdom that is from the earth that is earthly, natural, and demonic. There's a significant difference. And what about another word for spirit? Another place spiritual is brought about. Our struggle is a spiritual battle. And it's not really against people. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the powers, the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. We are fighting a spiritual battle. And it's one, the battleground, uh, battleground of the soul, the battleground for the mind that we talk about. It's one right up here as, it, as we relate to the Lord. Because then we're able to ask... You know, if we get to the point that we're like David, what can man do to me? In Psalm 56, that was his that was his mantra, if you will. Coming through, what is man able to do to me? Well, he can kill me. So what? 
if you have this confident expectation about eternity, which we know is hope, so what? Why not stand up for the truth? Why not go out as a, a martyr if need be? Why would we shrink back from him? 1 John 2.28 says, Don't shrink away from him in shame at his coming. We don't want to be of that type, do we? How would you sh be ashamed at his coming? Maybe if you were running like Peter when it happened. That'd be shameful, wouldn't it? Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for all you have done for us. Too many things actually to mention. But Father, we thank you so very much for your wondrous grace that you poured out upon us who were once your enemies. But now, Father, you have brought us into a relationship where we can become like Abraham and be your friends. Father, I pray that we will see the value of that. And we will realize that becoming your friend is about our being transformed into the image of Christ and not being conformed to this world. I pray that you would continue to lead us, that the Holy Spirit would show us error. And Father, that we would have the courage and the gumption to ask you that it be fixed. Father, we want to ask also that you would grant us opportunities to witness to other people that we might be able to bear one another's burdens and to be help, able to help in time of need, remembering what you have done to us all through our lives. We give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.